Well, good morning once again. Happy Easter once again. Uh, I've enjoyed worshiping with you quite a bit. Um, I really, really enjoyed that uh, last new song that uh, the group spent four hours trying to learn yesterday. It's really a, an incredible song. And it's been a great day so far, yes or no? And we got more in store, and, and I mentioned earlier about our visitors, I just want to let you know that we really appreciate your presence, we thank you for being here. Uh, you, again, you could have been somewhere else, you're here, and we're grateful for that, we pray that our service has been a blessing to you, and if we can do anything to help you, if I can do anything, if I can answer any questions, my name's Jason, you don't have to call me Reverend, Pastor, or anything like that, you just call me Jason, uh, just at least Jason, it'll be fine, that'll be enough. And I'll be glad to answer any questions uh, that you might have. But I think you've learned a little bit about what our our church is about. We try to to focus primarily on Jesus. Um, None of us are perfect, right? None of us are perfect. And we acknowledge that. And we like to think of this place as a, a, a place for broken people. You can come. You can be yourself. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are, we've been just as bad. But the good news is, is we've all been cleaned up by the blood of Jesus, and that blood of Jesus is available to all, and that's the mission we try to get out to everybody. You won't find judgmental attitudes here, you'll just find a a, a spirit of Jesus. We want everyone to, to come into contact with that. Well, we're talking about running on empty this morning. And you know, when you think of the word empty... It's not that great of a word. Because usually it means that something is gone. It means that something is is finished. Something is missing. Or something is is taken. You know, now now fortunately down in the south, our summers don't get too hot. But occasionally, they might get a little warm. And if you happen to be working outside on one of these occasional warm days in the summertime, you know, you're out there working and You might be mowing your grass or weeding the garden or whatever it is you do when you go outside and you work up a sweat. And if you're anything like me, the thing that I want more than anything else is a gigantic glass of sweet tea. That's what, can I get amen? I saw you, but you're English. You don't count. He wants a cup of hot tea. That's what he wants. But I want a glass of sweet tea. And there is nothing worse than going to your refrigerator and yanking open that refrigerator door after you've filled your cup to overflowing with ice to find that some unscrupulous person has drank all the tea and had the audacity to put the pitcher back in there. Empty! You know what I'm talking about? So I'm not a huge fan of the word empty. I don't like it. A few years ago, uh, I think we were still living in Panama City, so this has probably been seven or eight years ago now, I had a particularly busy day. I had somewhere to be, and I had intended to go to the gas station earlier that morning, and just because things were so busy, I didn't get a chance to do so. And so now I'm, I'm heading to my appointment, and I still am unfocused on getting gas, I'm focused on what's next and who i got to meet with and what all we're going to be talking about, and I passed by a gas station. Well, I come rolling up to a red light, and I realize that my truck is, I mean, it is on E. But I look up about 
200 yards away is a gas station. I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it, and about that time, my truck shut off. Right there at lunch hour in Panama City, Florida. And there is traffic everywhere. And so I'm just sitting there waiting for the light. And I, I think I probably at least put my hazards on. The light turns green. I get out and I'm just pushing my truck through this intersection. And everybody must have thought I needed the exercise or something. Nobody helped me. Not one single person helped me. And I'm pushing it through there and all is going well. And an old lady who can barely see over the steering wheel about T-bone me on the bloody side. She comes screeching to a halt, and I get my truck there, and it's, you know, it is bone dry, empty. So when I think of the word empty, I don't really have fond feelings of that word. You know what I'm talking about? You know, a lot of us, a lot of us feel that way. Do you ever feel like you're just running on empty? Because if your life is anything like my life, it is busy, busy busy, busy all the time. Can I get an oh yeah? Yeah, it, that's, that's what it's like. Life has us constantly on the move. Whether it's, a, you know, it, it's our schedules with work, it might be with, with school. If you have kids, it could be whatever they're into and wherever they've got to go. And at times, if you've got two or three kids, you might be running all over the place trying to get one to this practice and one to that practice and one to this game and one to that game. And you've got one parent that goes with one and, and one that, that goes with another, not to mention church and, and PTA and any other commitments that you might have and the pace of life, and tell me, just you can give me a, a nod of approval if you agree with this, the pace of life drains our energy. Yes or no? It absolutely does, and it, it just it leaves us feeling, well, empty. You see, and this is, this is one of the most powerful and effective tactics that Satan uses. He convinces us that if we are busy, then we must be doing good all the time. But you see, when God spun things into motion, and He laid out this created order, He built in time for rest. He wants us to rest. But what happens when we get free time? What do we do? We fill it up with stuff, don't we? We fill it up with extra things that we may or, or may not need, and we don't ever take the time just to sit back and to recharge and just say, ah. Oh. So I want you to do that with me right now. Just everybody take a big deep breath and let it out. Ah. Oh. Well, doesn't that feel good? Don't you think we need to do more of that? I think Jesus thought that. You know, a lot of times throughout Scripture, we see Jesus doing that very thing in the crush of His ministry, in the crush of everything that was going on around Him, He would withdraw to some place off by Himself and He would just take a deep breath. And He would be there in the, the presence of God because He knew that He was not going to be worth anything to anybody if He was constantly feeling drained. If He was, was in from the busyness of ministry, he would not have been effective. He would not have been able to be the Messiah that we needed him to be. And Satan convinces us that that's how we need to be. That we constantly need to do this. We've got to make that point. We've got to squeeze in this, this next thing, whatever it might be, until we wear ourselves out. We run ourselves ragged. We feel tired. We feel drained. We feel exhausted. We feel empty. 
You know what happens? What I find when I'm at my emptiness, you know what I do? I disconnect from people. You know what I'm talking about? I think I just need to just disconnect. It makes me feel more and more empty. You know, this is what, what Satan does to us. And so this word, it, it, means, it means a lot of things to different people. The word empty for you, you know, it might, it might describe, you know, your nest. Your children are grown and they've sort of moved on and now you're just, you're, you're learning to live with each other again after so many years of raising your children. Or maybe like, like, like me, the word empty describes your, your, your bank account. Because the bills just keep coming. Every single day you go to the mailbox and what's there? It seems like there's another stack of bills. And they just keep coming. You're constantly having to pay for this. And it's doctor's appointments. And the kids need new shoes. And, uh, you know, we, we might as well eat three times a day. And so we do that and the bills just keep coming. And as the bills keep going like this, the money keeps going like this. You know what I'm talking about? And so your bank account can feel at times very, very empty. But it might be that the word empty describes your pleasures in life. You've sort of felt that emptiness, and so you've tried to fill your life up with things, or maybe it's a hobby or a sport or whatever it might be. Maybe it's healthy, or, or, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a guilty pleasure. Yet, you, you go back and you look at your life, and it sort of leaves you feeling unfulfilled. Or maybe some of us, and, and I don't think anybody in here, but probably you know somebody who when you think of the word empty, the other word empty-headed may come to mind. You know, I mean, I think we all know somebody who just think, wow, that person just, is, just has no brains. Look at the choices they've made. Look at what they're doing. Surely, you know, there's got to be something rolling around up there. I know I've had that said about me in my life. But that's the way some people are. But maybe you're here this morning and the word empty has to do with, with promises. Maybe it was a promise that, that you made to somebody. Maybe it was a promise that you made to your parents or a a promise that you made to your children and you just didn't live up to it. Maybe it was your vows and you promised to always be faithful or your spouse promised to always be faithful to you and one or both of you didn't live up to that promise. Maybe somebody promised to always be there in your life and then for whatever reason they're not and that's left you with a, a feeling of emptiness. If it's not that, it might be a, a, a relationship. Because you and I both know there are a lot of people out there. You know, we, we need people. We need to be around people. God created us to, to be in community. And there are people that they just, for whatever reason, I don't know why, and you know people like this, they always seem to find themselves in a relationship that is going nowhere but down. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in a relationship like that? A relationship where, where you're doing all the giving and you're putting in and you're putting in and you're putting in and that person is just constantly taking from you. Taking from you mentally. Taking from you emotionally. Taking from you spiritually. Taking from you physically, even financially. And it feels you just absolutely, you just feel absolutely drained and, and, and absolutely empty. Or maybe something has happened to you. You've had some sort of experience. Life is has hit you hard as it often does. And it's caused you to just harden your heart to things. And you've sealed it off and you've said, I'm not going to feel anything. You know what happens is that your heart will, will harden up and you don't allow any room, don't allow anything to come in. It can feel empty as well. Or it might be that you're here this morning 
and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never confessed Jesus as your Lord. You've never committed your, your, your life to Him in, in, in baptism, and that leaves a feeling of, of emptiness. You see, all of us, we have this, this thing inside of us that causes us to want to, to fill up our life with things, fill up our life with stuff and activities and hobbies and all sorts of things. And there's a lot of people that they go looking for all these things, constantly trying to find fulfillment. And so you see it all the time. They always need a new car. They always need a new house. They always need something else. They always need a new relationship. Well, if I just do this, do that, then everything will be great. And it never seems like they're satisfied. And it's not like there's anything wrong with the stuff. It's that the stuff they're trying to fill up that emptiness with isn't going to do anything. Because it, all it is is an inanimate object. D.L. Moody says that every single one of us, he said that every single one of us, we have a God-shaped void in our life. And the only thing that can fill it up, the only thing that can lead to true fulfillment and true happiness is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yet, a lot of times we turn to other things. We turn to hobbies. We turn to stuff. Many people turn to drugs and, and, and alcohol. They turn to relationships that are just absolutely, absolutely detrimental. You see, as we, you, you look around in our society and you know these people, you go to work with these people, you live next to these people, you may live with these people, you may be one of these people. But as you, you look around, and as I look around, I realize more and more and more every single day that, man, we're just, we're just running on empty. You know what I'm talking about? That's, it's not how God intended for us to be. But you know, the disciples, they knew the feeling of emptiness. They understood what it was like to feel empty. When Jesus came on the scene, when He started performing these miracles and He started to preach and He started to change people's lives, they realized that there was something different about Him. Something different and yet familiar. Different in that He was teaching and speaking with an authority that was His own. He wasn't saying, the rabbi said this. He's saying, You've heard it said this, now I'm telling you this. He was delivering a message from God in His own authority. They realized, wow, that's different. That's something new. But then they realized, wait a minute, the things that He's doing sound an awful lot like some of the stuff we would have learned when we were children. Sound an awful lot like the stuff we read in God's Word as we were growing up. It sounds an awful lot like the prophecies of, of the Messiah. And the more they observed Him, they began to realize that this was the Messiah, that this was the Son of God. And there were people that committed their lives to following Him, to following in the dust of their rabbi Jesus. And they watched Him open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the, the deaf to give the ability to, uh, of speech to those who were mute. They watched him probably in horror place his hands on a leper and heal him and not receive the disease himself, but transmit healing power to a leper. 
They watched him calm storms. They'd seen him walk upon water. They had seen him put his hand on a dead body, and instead of becoming unclean himself, he delivered life back into that body. They were there the day that he visited Bethany, and he stood outside the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, and he called for Lazarus to come forth. And as the stone was rolled away, there was not a stench that should have come rolling out of a tomb. And that right there was confirmation that God was with him. Instead, what came out of the tomb was Lazarus. They believed that this was the Messiah. They were with Him through all of those things. They were with Him last Sunday as He came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey that had never been ridden before. They were there as He came demonstrating the kind of king that He was going to be, that He was the king that was bringing in peace. They were there in the crowd taking off their cloaks and cutting the palm branches and throwing them on the ground, singing Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They realized, they realized that this is the King. This is the Messiah. This happened all this week. And yet on Friday... Everything went south. As people grabbed a hold of Jesus and they rushed Him through some kangaroo court, sent Him through to the, the, the king and Herod didn't know what to do with Him, so he sent Him to Pilate and they bounced Him back and forth a few times and finally, Pilate is ready to make a pronunciation of Jesus and the, the verdict is not guilty. He is not guilty of death. But you know what Pilate did? He took the cowardly way out and he washed his hands of the situation because he could not afford to have a riot in his territory. Because Pilate was already on the hot seat with the Roman government because he could not keep the upstart Jews under control. And he said, you do what you want to with him. And he washed his hands. And so they turned Jesus over to be crucified and they, they, they beat him. They scourged him. They put a cross on his back. They made him carry it to his death site. They laid him on the cross and they nailed him to the cross. The Son of God nailed to a cross. The most humiliating end for a human being. That's how Jesus died. He was put to death so that when they dropped that cross into the ground, and Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, that was a symbol that this is a treacherous person. This is somebody that you don't need to associate. Do not associate with the kind of person that ends up on a cross. The cross was meant, number one, it was meant to be excruciatingly painful, but more than that, it was meant to demonstrate the shame. And so Jesus bore not just the pain of the cross, He bore the, the shame of the cross. Shame that did not belong to Him. Shame that belonged to you. Shame that belonged to me. And He bore that for us. And He hung there. In Luke chapter 4, excuse me, verse 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 44, talks about that. Verse 44 says it was about noon.
sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit saying this. He, he breathed his last. To the disciples, their, their dreams were, were, were crushed. They'd given up everything to follow him. They believed that he is the Messiah, believed that he is the one, the one that is going to to, to free them from oppression. The one that is going to, to put things to right and, and now on. And to top it off, one of their own agreed to betray Him. And their leader sits over in a corner just sort of stenched, steeped, in his denial of Jesus. Because you remember what Peter was like. He was bold up front. And he told Jesus, after Jesus said, you're going to be scattered. He said, not me. If everybody else denies you, I won't. And that's when Jesus told him, no, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times, and that's exactly what happened before that rooster crowed. Three times Peter denied him. And so Jesus was dead and, and buried. And, you know, you can imagine they're thinking, you know, can this, can this really be true? He was, he was supposed to be the chosen one, and you know, now what do we do? They left their businesses, they left their families, they left everything to follow him. And now their lives were just sort of empty. And so the only thing they can do is hide. And so they go and they, they lock themselves in a room because they're afraid that the Jews are going to come and do the exact same thing to them that they did to Jesus. And Jesus had kind of warned them that those kinds of things could and, and would happen. And so they're just sort of huddled together for safety behind locked doors. But because the Sabbath was coming at sundown on Friday... They had to hurry and bury Jesus. And so they didn't get to finish the process. And they put him in a tomb that didn't even belong to him. A rich man by the name of Joseph loaned it to him. And so on the first day of the week, which was Sunday morning, some of the women get up and they're going to make their way to the tomb, not in hopes that he has risen, but they're going to perfume the tomb because they didn't get to perfume the body the correct way. They're going, to, they're going to cover up their shame. And so Matthew 28, verse 1 says this, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and that's Jesus' mother, went to view the tomb. 
Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robes white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. They passed out from their fear. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You see, they had believed that Jesus was the King, but they had believed the wrong story. They were right in thinking that He was the King, but they were wrong in the King that they thought He was. They thought He was going to be an earthly King, a physical King that was going to drive out the Romans. Sunday hadn't taught Him anything when He came riding in on the dog. He said, look, I'm not here to start a war. I'm here in peace. This is what I'm trying to lead you to, is to this way and this life of, of peace. You see, they thought the story ended at the crucifixion because they hadn't completely grasped the story. But the angel says in verse 6, He is not here. He has been resurrected. And as we talked about at our sunrise service this morning, this phrase here also coupled with Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born are the two most important phrases, I think, in all the world. That a Savior has been born and that He's not here. He's not in the tomb. He has risen, just as He said. Come see where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples He's been raised from the dead. In fact, He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see, you will see Him there. Listen to what I told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, what did they do? They ran. They ran to tell His disciples the news. And so they get there, and as you're flipping to, to John chapter 20, they go running back to the room where everybody's hiding out, and they bust in there, and they start talking about what has happened, about the angel, about the guards that have passed out, and they said that Jesus is alive, that just as he said, they said he was going to be, he was going to, to, to be raised up. And that's exactly what happened. He wasn't in the tomb. And he told us to come here and, and to tell you about it. And the way Luke records it is that when the women get there, the men say, you're crazy. They don't believe it. They have forgotten what, what Jesus said. And it says that most of the men forgot it. But there are two who didn't. And so John chapter 20, verse 3 says, at that, that's at the, the news that they hear from the Marys, at that, Peter and the other disciple, that's John, they went out heading for the tomb. The two were what? They were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and he got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head, that'd be the burial shroud, was not laying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then entered, saw and believed. I 
For they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. Then the disciples, they, they went home again. You see, they go running to the tomb just hoping that what Mary and Mary have said is true. And they get there and they find out the tomb is empty. The grave clothes are empty. Why? Because Jesus has risen. And so that's why we sing those words, death, where is your sting? Because death cannot hold Jesus Christ. With the resurrection, He defeated death. As God looked down from heaven and told Jesus to take back up His life, as He said, Arise, my love. soldiers' feet as they guarded the grave. One day, two days, three days had passed. Could it be that Jesus breathed his last? Could it be that the Father had forsaken him, turned his back on his son, our sin all hell seemed to whisper just forgetting he's dead then the father looked down to his son and said arise my love arise
just mean that that something was missing from us. It meant because of an empty tomb, we can now have life. Because Jesus went to the cross and it said that He Himself emptied Himself. He became the suffering Savior. He poured out everything. He emptied Himself, became one of us, went to a cross for us that we can be freed. So because of an empty tomb, you can have a full life. But it's only found in Jesus Christ. And so what does this mean? It means that Jesus can, can fill your home. It means that He can give you a, a, a new purpose for your existence. It means that, that, that He can take your, your broken heart and your broken relationships and He can mend those things. It means that He can fill your soul. Jesus emptied Himself on the cross. And today, celebrate the emptiness of the tomb. We celebrate the emptiness not in life, but of the tomb that Jesus walked out of because of the empty tomb that we have life. And it only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ help you if we can baptize you into the name of Jesus this day why don't you come while we stand and while we sing